You know, one of the things I appreciate that you do, I have to say this, I like that you still pass the Lord's Supper out. And I really appreciate that. So many during the whole 2020 when all that started did the little travel Lord's Supper. Nothing wrong with that, but a lot of them have continued to use them. And it's just like over quickly. And there's no time to really stop and reflect upon Christ and what He did for us. And one of the central reasons we come together is to take the Lord's Supper. And it's just like it's over so fast. And I think it just lends itself to that. So I I appreciate that you still hand it out. Give us time to uh, set our minds on what we're here for while we're able to be here because of what Christ has done for us. All right, let's keep going. What godly people do. If you know your Old Testament, all right, we're not going to be in the Old Testament, but you know the story of Joshua. You know the book of Joshua. And when you look at the book of Joshua, the story is the conquering and conquest of the land, right? And you've got, you've got Joshua, and you've got leading them into the land that God had promised them, and you, you just follow that through that wonderful book, Jericho, Ai, the first couple of cities, and all the way till God gives them the land that he had promised to give them. What I want to ask you if we get started next lesson, what is the New Testament parallel book to Joshua? They don't answer out loud. You know, I, have to, I need to start saying that the other night. The other night I was preaching at home, and I asked a question, and the guy sitting in front won't answer. <laughs> so, but what, what would be the New Testament equivalent of the book of Joshua? And the answer is Acts. In Joshua, they were physically conquering the nations, the lands, the cities for God's people. But in Acts, you're seeing similar things. You're seeing a conquering and a going forth in a conquering. But what's going forth is God's word. And what's being conquered is the hearts and lives of people who surrender their will to God's. So Acts is so many ways, it's a lot like the book of Joshua. Go to Acts chapter 8. That's where we're going to take our lesson from in just a minute. Acts chapter 8. Gary mentioned of uh, Sid Latham, a friend of mine. Uh, he is. He is probably my best friend. He did a, a lesson one time. I, I never actually heard the lesson, but I know the title of it because he and I talked a lot about it. But the title of what he called it was Becoming the Story of Acts. Wasn't that a good title? It's such a good title. Becoming the Story of Acts. Well, it's not just a title. It's intended to be the reality for godly people. The second thing we're going to think about this morning is godly people share God's Word. Just think about any godly person that you can recall in the Bible. Let's start just in the Scripture. Any godly person you can think about. First one comes to your mind. I know one thing to a certainty. They shared God's Word. Old or New Testament. That's what godly people do. They always want to share God's Word. Why would they not? When you have an insatiable appetite for a relationship with God, and you have that same appetite for His Word, how can you and I, as branches attached to the vine, be any otherwise directed in our lives than Christ Himself? I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. 
And you say, I, I came to seek and save the lost. Godly people share God's Word. We're going to look at the book of Acts, but here's what's what I want to do again. I want to look at some people I don't know who they are. I don't know their names. I don't know anything about them except one thing to a certainty. They share God's Word. Now, you would think, oh, we're going to Acts. Certainly, he's going to talk about the apostles. No, I'm not. But they did that, didn't they? They shared God's Word. We see that in at the very beginning, Acts 2, when Peter stood up and preached, and then 3,000, and 4,000, and 5,000, the number kept growing, and we see the apostles were doing that. We could even think, well, okay, he's going to pick the seven chosen in Acts 6, and you know they were gifted with these abilities to perform miracles, to speak, and... And, and we see Stephen, and we follow Philip in chapter 8. Uh, no, I'm not one to focus on them either. I want to go back to an unknown name of people. I don't know who they are. All I know about them is what they did. And what they did is share God's Word. And that's what godly people do. The context, the very beginning of chapter 8, is Stephen has been stoned and murdered. That's it. They killed him. They murdered Stephen at the end of seven. They laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we know as Saul of Tarsus, who would become Paul the Apostle. He would tell you later, he was fully consenting to the death of Stephen. He was all in on that. And he was about to wreak havoc on the church. Let me remind you of something you may not know, but if you take the time, you'll see. When you look at Acts 22 and Acts 26... That's what Paul talks about a lot of his life and, and seeing the Lord on the road to Damascus at Athens in 9. But he talks about how he persecuted the church. The terms used there are much more graphic and serious than we tend to take them. He had people tortured. And that's the language. He had people arrested, being tortured is what Paul was doing. But what I want you to do is, is I don't want to I don't want to focus on Paul completely or Saul of Tarsus, but he's the one that's going to instigate what's about to happen. So if you're in Acts A, will you look with me at verse one? Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, that Stephen, to death. And on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Stop there. Come back to me. They've been focused only in Jerusalem. I think all of you know that very well. The gospel, the work, had been exclusively taking place in Jerusalem. That was not God's plan. He tells them that at the very beginning of Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. This gospel is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's going out. That's God's plan. It's this persecution that comes. Stephen's murder, after the apostles have been arrested, arrested again and beaten, now he's murdered. And Saul just is wreaking havoc on God's people. And the result of that, the outcome of that, is they're just scattered everywhere. How many times in the Bible do you see God take something that seems bad and negative and turn it into good? Over and over, isn't it, Mark? You just, how many times? I mean, over and over you see it. Where God just does that. Here's this intense persecution. Wow, and they're scattered. This is terrible. No. No, it's not, because the people who are scattered are godly people, and you see godly people share the message, because that's what godly people do. So God's going to turn persecution 
and to preach it. And that's what God's always able to do, is to take something bad and make it good. So I'm back down the text. Look at verse 4. Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now that's where I want you to sit down with me for just a few moments in this lesson. Those who were scattered, who are these? I don't know. Christians, disciples of Christ, they're his children, no question. Converted, taught by the apostles, some of the prophets, they obey. We know that, but I don't know who they are. I can tell you where some of them are from. You'll see that list back over in Acts 2. But I don't know who they are. These unnamed Christians again, right? But what do you know about them? They're godly people. And what do godly people do? They went everywhere. They were scattered. They went everywhere preaching. That's what godly people do. Now here's what I want you to think about with me as we work through this verse. I want to show you four things that are true of all godly people. Four things that are not mentioned in Acts 8 and verse 4. But I guarantee you it has to be true for what Acts 8 verse 4 does say. Four things, that's it. Real brief to look at what godly people do. So in other words, to say they went everywhere preaching the word is to say that they were people of fill in the blank. Five. They went everywhere preaching the word. Therefore, they had to be people of what? Uh, PowerPoint, I couldn't get it ready for this morning because my computer was down. I was telling Gary, so I apologize. You're not going to see this maybe in the back, and my handwriting may not be good. But number one, if you can see it, it says faith. To say they went everywhere preaching the word is to say that these were godly people, a people of faith. They believed in the power of the gospel to change lives. Now, how do they know that? How is that the case? Where does this faith come from? Do you remember, um, it was several years ago, a long time ago, there was a prominent news anchor. Now, I won't mention the name, but she was on, very popular at the time. I watched her show a lot, um, used to. But her husband passed away of prostate cancer. There was a grieving period where she vanished from the news for a while, but when she came back, every time you saw her, she was promoting early testing. Early testing. Because if you catch it, you can prevent it. Early testing. She never stopped talking about it. Every program she was on, she talked about it. They gave her a full hour special on that single topic on TV at the time to talk about it and to promote and the other day, I saw a commercial or something with her and her daughter in it, and she was still talking and passing about this. Why? Do you see? She believes so powerfully in the, the value and importance of that testing because she knows firsthand she's experienced it. She's been through it. She lost her husband. And so when you look at these Christians to say they had faith, they believed in the power of the gospel because they experienced it firsthand. And when you experience that, nothing's going to change you. 
I, I, I just had this thought. I thought of the guy, the blind man in Acts 9. I mean, uh, John 9. In John 9, the blind man, that young man whose own parents threw him under the bus. Well, I don't know. He's our son. But it's just how they treat him blew me away because they were so afraid. And that's what fear does. But that young man stood there unmoved by the threats, the intimidation. They couldn't budge whether or not he's just not one thing I know. I was blind now. I see that man did it. You couldn't move that boy from his faith and belief in Jesus Christ because I couldn't see and now I can see. I know he changed me and you're not going to change me from that belief. That's these Christians. That's faith. Uh, you don't have to turn there. Do you remember the guy with leprosy at the end of Mark chapter 9? He comes to Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1. He comes to Jesus in Mark 1 and starts about verse 40. And if you're willing, you can make me clean. The Lord said, I'm willing. And, he, and he, he cleansed the leper. And then he said, now go and show yourself to the priest. Don't say anything to anybody. And go show yourself. And make an offering for your cleansing. Leviticus 13 would teach about that. But he went everywhere and told everybody about Christ. So much so the text says Jesus couldn't walk open anymore. He had to be out in deserted places because of what the guy did. Now let me say this. What he did was wrong. He did wrong because he disobeyed Jesus. Don't say anything. Go show yourself. He didn't do that. So his actions were wrong in what he went and did. But he went everywhere and proclaimed Jesus and telling everybody about Jesus and what he'd done for him. Well-intended disobedience. You could probably finish that, can't you? It's still disobedience, and it hurts the Lord. <coughs> so I have to preface this with that, so I don't leave you any impression. What he did was wrong, but do you understand why he did it? Can you see it? Can you see it? Whoa, man, that's powerful. He was so affected, and he believed so powerfully. Man, I was a leper, and it's gone, and he did it. That's belief. That's faith. What do you take from you and me? And one leprosy is far worse. And he turns to the leprosy. Don't you say anything. You go show yourself to the priest. He didn't do it. He took sin away from me. And he said, now Greg, go tell everybody. How you doing with that one? How am I doing? When I look at these people, that's what I see. Here are people who had strong faith, trust, confidence in the gospel and its power to transform and change because they'd experienced it firsthand. I wonder, I don't know, I wonder if some of, of these were also some of those who were there in Acts 2 when it says they were cut, they were pierced to the heart, and looked at Peter and the apostles and said, Men and brethren, what, what shall we do? You know, what do we do? And Peter says, Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if some of the very people who felt that piercing, that cutting, were some of these that went everywhere and shared that message with others so they could experience now the joy of forgiveness and cleansing in Christ. That's a good piercing. My daughter is a type 1 diabetic. 
I think about it all the time. She has to pierce her finger and get the blood, check her blood sugar. That's a good piercing. It hurts. It stings. But she needs to know what that number is. She can be healthy. This was a good piercing to the gospel. These people have been hit hard. And they knew the power. And they had faith. So when the Bible says, hey, whenever we're preaching the word, this is what I know about godly people. Godly people share it because they have strong faith in the power of the gospel to change lives. Second one. <clears throat> I'll get this down. To say they went everywhere preaching the word. See if you don't see this. They had to be a people of courage. It it took tremendous courage to go do that, didn't it? I mean, what's the whole catalyst of this? Scattering. They murdered Stephen. This guy's arresting people, having them beaten and tortured. Saul of Tarshish. And it's getting worse. And so it was persecution that ran them out. And you can imagine, always, oh, you know, hey, just keep it kind of low key. We don't want to ruffle, we want to rock the boat a little bit, you know, let this settle down. That's not the attitude of a Christian nor a godly person. They understand that it's dangerous. It's dangerous to serve and stand up for Christ. It was dangerous to stand by Christ back in the first century. It was dangerous to go out and teach the Bible in the first century. And it's dangerous today. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? That's what one line of our song says by Isaac Watts. Do we honestly think that we can sit back and just coast into heaven and not really cost us anything while others that we read in the scripture that gave their lives? Take courage. In Acts 4, remember, they arrested him and threatened, don't you speak anymore in this man's name. The apostles, well, we cannot but speak the things which we've seen. We got to. And they went out and they went to their own. They prayed together. The only thing they asked for, you know what they asked for? They had boldness. Boldness to keep teaching the gospel. And then in chapter 5, they're arrested again in Acts. And this time, this time, they beat them. Forty stripes save one was a Jewish scourging. They beat them. How many years ago was it that boy got caned in where was he at? China? I can't remember where he was at. Where was that? You remember that? He got caned somewhere. And the people here in this, man, they about fell out of their chair. They were bent over. This is awful. They were beaten severely and walked right out rejoicing that they could suffer for the name of Christ. And if you think, well, man, they'll do that to the perceived leaders. What would they? Well, you know the answer to that. They killed Stephen. It takes courage to stand up for what's right. It takes courage at work to tell others that what you're doing is wrong. It takes courage to stand up among your peers when something's said that's not right and say, that's not right. It takes courage to stand on your conviction, your faith in Christ. Um, go you go Romans 1 with me just really quick, if you don't mind. You, you know these verses really, really well, but I want to just read them with you if you don't mind. Romans chapter 1, 
verse 28. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, (coughs) arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, unworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, that not only do the same, but also give hearty or healthy approval to those who practice them. That list is a list of the culture in that time that they were taking the gospel to. The message they were taking out was complete antithesis of the culture with which they were living in. It took courage. It takes courage for us to stand up for what's right. I was listening on the way in to two-hour drives. Only two hours for me. Here's a short truth. Uh, <clears throat> I was listening to a guy like his podcast and his YouTube thing. He was being confronted about some questions about marriage and the sanctity of marriage and same-sex marriage. And I like him, but he did everything he could to dance around saying what needed to be said in the moment when he was asked. And that is marriage is of God. It, it is part of the structured order of creation. I mean, it's one of the most fundamental parts of our life here that God began the Garden of Eden. And it is it has its inception in the mind of God and the will of God and that's what but he wouldn't do it. And you know why. Afraid. Now I'm not gonna have the platform that this the audience that this guy has. And out of fear he would recoil, I believe. But I still have an audience of those around me. And I still need to let my light shine, whether it's at work, at home, wherever I'm at, the peers, the friends I may have. And it takes courage for me, too, to stand up for what I know is right. When I read that these, whenever we're preaching and teaching the Word, I know they had to have courage to go and do that. Because that's hard to do in any century, in any time. That's hard to do. And they did it. That's what's true of godly people. They have strong faith. They have courage and trust in God. Even if the consequences are severe, they do what's right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stand up for God, even if it means burning. You stand up for what's right. That's what godly people do. All right, let's let's move on. There, you could you could spend time on just the one point. Each one do a whole lesson, but let's move on. Here's a third thing. To say they were never preaching the word. Look at the list I've got so far. Can you see something that's been left off? It seemed kind of obvious, doesn't it? And it connects to our uh, our first lesson. You cannot teach what you do not know. You can't. I don't speak Russian. I speak a little Portuguese, but I don't speak Russian. I don't know Russian. I can't teach it. You can only teach what you know. So when the Bible says, they weren't ever preaching the word, I know something to a certainty. They knew enough to go and preach the gospel. Now, I'm back in Acts. Will you go back there with me? 
I'm going to the second chapter first. Now, I just want to do chapter 2 and then chapter 5 real quick to show you one or two verses, that's all. And just let you see what's happening here. I'm in chapter 2. <clears throat> he talks about in verse 41, those who gladly received his word were baptized that day and about 3,000 souls were added to them. But pick up in verse 42. It says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking bread and of prayers. So notice what they're doing here. Continually devoting themselves to the teaching, the fellowship of God's Word. Look at verse 46. Same chapter. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Jump to chapter 5, just really quick. And toward the very end of the chapter, I just want to take you toward the very bottom there, and look at chapter 5. Oh, this is after they're arrested the second time and beaten. I'll tell you what, let's just go ahead and look at the last verse of chapter 5, verse 42. In every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So what I know, what I know certainly seems like is when it says that whenever we're preaching we had to have acquire enough knowledge of God's word to go do that and I see that that was happening because they were continually devoting themselves to his teaching house to house they ate their food with gladness and simplicity they were always together daily in the temple what that says about the church at Jerusalem is they were doing a good work at helping the people who made up that local church know God's word Knowledge. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what Peter would say. That's that's God's expectation of us to, to grow in our knowledge. Not to be leaps and bounds, but we're growing in our knowledge. And wouldn't you expect a godly person who loves God and loves His Word, would you not expect that that's what they do? They make time for God's Word and they're always growing in their knowledge, their understanding of God's Word. You know what amazes me how somebody like some of you here could be. I, I don't know you, so I hope that's not true. But you can sit in a worship service many, many years in your life and really never really know God's Word. When I was preaching somewhere else, uh, a young man had grown up. From the time he was born, he'd been a part of the congregation where I was preaching. He was 23, 24 years old in that, about the age of my son now. And he came, and he wanted to meet me at the building one day. And I said, sure, I met him up there. I said, what's up? He said, well, this he really this girl he's been dating, uh, he wanted to teach her the gospel, but he wasn't sure how to do that. And there were some passages that she was asking about. And he, he couldn't just teach. Here's what the Bible says. And look at passages that he'd heard many, many times. And so you can sit and listen. Many of you now, you hear me. But that doesn't mean you really hear. You listen, but that doesn't mean you really listen. And if you you know exactly what I mean by that. Because husbands and wives, one of you can be talking, the other one absolutely is not listening. You hear them, but you're not really listening. <coughs> well, we can do the same thing here in our assemblies. Or just on our own as it relates to our time in God's Word. 
Knowledge is fundamental to the life of a Christian and a godly person. As I said before, Philippians 3, is never content with where they are in their knowledge and understanding of God's Word. They never satisfy with where they are, but they're always wanting more, and that's what Paul said. And that's what we know to be true about godly people. They have a knowledge. Those who were scattered were never preaching because they knew enough to teach about Christ. Alright, last one. What's missing? Can you see what's missing? The last one that has to, it absolutely has to be true of godly people and of these in Acts 8 and verse 4. It has to be true of them. What's interesting about the last one is it's not mentioned one time in the entire book of Acts. 28 chapters as we have it. But this word is not mentioned one single time in any of its four Greek options that you could choose. It's not mentioned once. But it's on every page. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I can read lips too because I'm going deaf. So that's exactly right. Love. Sewell Hall was teaching a long time ago when I was sitting in the audience. Some of you, many of you may know, you may not know it. Um, but he he's the first one I heard say that in a lesson he was doing that love's not mentioned in the book of Acts. I was like, oh man, no, there's no way. You know, I got my dictionary out at the time. That's all I had. Yeah, he was right. Not one time. But you see it all throughout the book. You see it. It's on every page. Why else would you do it? Why would you teach anybody anything like this if not for the fact that you love them? Parents, we teach our children. Why? We love them. We want them to go to heaven. We want them to know the Lord. That's our goal. That's all we want, right? We have family, loved ones, brothers, sisters, siblings, you know, those we love them and we want them to know the truth. That That's love. That's why you do it. In uh, in Acts chapter 8, if you kept reading, one of the thickest lines of prejudice would be crossed in Acts 8, where Philip, one of the seven chosen in Acts 6, would go down to Samaria and the Bible says he went down and preached Jesus to him. Why would he do that? Jews and Samaritans? That's fire and ice. His history, if, if, if there's any truth to it, history says there were some Jews that would keep from going through Samaria. They would go a longer day's journey around to get to Jerusalem than to go through. I mean, there was such a disdain. And you remember the woman in, in John 4, surprised Jesus is talking to her. Again, but what would cause, what would cause Philip to do it? Love. What would cause these Christians to go over and teach people? Love. Why do you do it? Why else would you? Some of these other people we read about, some of these unnamed uh, men and women were some of the ones that went up to Antioch of Syria and started preaching to the Gentiles up there. Now Peter would take it first to Cornelius. We know that in Acts 10, but we know there's a church up there that's where all three of Paul's journeys began from was in Antioch of Syria, and it mentions some of those men from Cyprus and Cyrene who had gone up there and preached Christ to these Gentiles. Why you love them? Why would you ever do that other than the fact that you genuinely love and you want them to know God 
Godly people share God's message. Godly people are people of faith, courage, knowledge, and love. And that's true of every godly person who reads about the Bible. They believe strongly in God's Word. They are people who are courageous, and we see that firsthand over and over. Old and New Testament. People who spent their time reading God's Word, meditating on God's Word, wanting God's Word, like the psalmist, because they love it. It makes their heart burn. And you see it older New Testament. You see them loving and sharing that message to many. So, before we close this one, I want to challenge you. And, again, none of this is ever intended for us to feel bad. It's just to challenge us to be better. And here's what I want to share with you. Show me any Christian who possesses all four of those and I will show you a Christian that's sharing the gospel with people in their life. Any Christian you know, show them, and they have faith, courage, knowledge, and love. Love for others. Second of the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. Show me a Christian with all four, and I'll show you a godly person sharing the gospel every time. Show me a Christian that's not sharing the gospel. Show me someone who knows the power of the gospel and the ability to change lives, but they're not doing it. And I know to a certainty something's missing. If you're not, and I'm not, and not just you, this is me, I'm accountable to God for my choice and decisions. But if we're not sharing it, and you're not, I guarantee you, one of these is missing. Now, since I don't know you, the only one that I can rebuke in this is me. I absolutely have unshakable faith in the power of the gospel to change lives. Unequivocal. I have, there's no doubt in my mind. I believe that. I've seen it too many times. Forget what I've seen personally. You look at the Apostle Paul, you see the power of the gospel transform, okay? I, I, that's not my issue. I'm not afraid. I really don't care. I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care if they used to call me Bible thumper when I was in college. I got all kinds of, I, I don't care. And I don't mean that like some callous mean one. I'm just saying it doesn't affect me. I'm going to still live the way I think God wants. I, I'm not afraid. And that's going to be tested in our culture because i got news for you. i tell you, those of us that preach and teach, some of our lessons, it's just that long before they're called hate speech. And they go to our websites and they pull down sermons I've done on homosexuality, transgenderism, things like that. And God get in trouble. And that's already happened in Canada, by the way. If you don't know that, it's already happened in past in Canada. So what? They tried to arrest us in Africa. They were going to threaten Sid and I, you know, you got to have a, you know, they were, we were on a corner teaching and the police came up and kind of started pressing on us. And Sid and I told them, said, we don't have to have a permit. We're just living our faith. So I know I'm, I'm not afraid of what's going to happen to me personally. I can't say three is the point. I, I, I don't know enough. You're going to find that out this week. But I'm, I do know something. <laughs> 
So my knowledge is not the reason. I'm capable of teaching. I have taught people the gospel. I've never converted anybody. Can I say that? Do you know you know that, right? Do you know where I'm going with that? I've never converted anybody in 54 years because you don't convert people. The gospel does. You're just sold the seed. God brings the increase. We don't convert a soul and never will. That's what God's word's for. All right? But I got a lot of knowledge in it. So if I'm being honest, when I'm not where I ought to be, for me, it's that one. That's the one that gets me. I'm not loving the way that I should. I'm not seeing people the way I should. Um, You'll learn. Things pop in my mind while I'm preaching. I don't always have a steady outline. You'll figure that one out too. So when something comes to my mind, I'm just going to share it if I think it applies. And this verse just keeps bouncing in my head when I think about seeing people the way that I need to see them. Do you mind turning with me? Last verses, two verses, and we'll, we'll be done. Second Corinthians 5. These, this chapter, uh, let me just uh, add this. If you don't mind. This is my go-to chapter when I'm not doing well here. When I'm, I'm not loving the way that I should. When I'm not sharing the gospel. And the responsibility of sharing the gospel is not emboldened upon me because I preach the gospel. It is invulnerable because I am a child of God. And that's what godly people do. But when I'm not doing well, this is the chapter I go to and I read it a lot. To You know what I mean? To get myself, the energy fired back up and to get the spirit I need to have. But two of the verses that really hit me the hardest when I work through this are 16 and 17. He says, Therefore from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. That's the one that gets me. And here's how I see it. Verse 16. We know no one according to the flesh anymore. I want to look at you and I don't want to see the outside because that's not what's important. I want to see the people in front of me on what they really are. And it's not this. It's what's in here. The eternal part of you is the most important part of you. Not the outside. But so often we only see what? We just see the outside. And it scares us sometimes. And we don't love the way that we should. Instead of seeing a a marred, sin-stained soul, I don't see that like I should at times. But that's what I want to see is what's on the inside, the eternal part of people. I want to see the part that's going to stand before the judgment seat of God and give an answer for how they live. I want to see that. I want to see that you are an eternal being in a temporary dwelling, whether you like it or not. You're going to lay that down, and you're going to answer to God. And I want to see that when I look at you. And then what can I do to share the seed of the Word and help you? That's what I want to see. So 16 is a big one for me when I'm not loving. And 17 for me goes right with it. Because what I also try to see is what God can do. And I want to look at uh, uh, maybe someone that sin is just feeling in their life. 
But what I want to see is God can take that away and make them something new and make them a new creation. So do you see why these are my two favorite of that chapter when I'm not loving the way that I ought to? Because I'm not seeing you the way that I ought to see you and not seeing what you can be and what God can make of you like I ought to. And so we'll stop there. You tell me in your own self, maybe I should say, which one are you missing that's keeping you from being a godly person that shares God's word? Because my suspicion for some of you is knowledge. It's probably not faith because you're here. So you might be like me. It might be maybe you're a little afraid at work, the threats, what we've seen happen, maybe that's it. Or maybe you're like me and that your love's not really where it ought to be. Loving others the way God loves them. Well, we're going to sing our song 457. It's going to be our song of invitation. Um, I don't know the crowd, but you know who you are. You know your relationship with the Lord. Uh, You know no other relationship matters more. If you're outside of a relationship with Him, then you're outside of everything. Um, You can fool some people, but you can't fool God. Wherever you are in your spiritual relationship with the Lord, if you need to make that right, then you know we need you to come and do that while we take our time to stand and sing.